0: She has me pitch my ID to him and he's been, you know, he's a hardened restaurant veteran of 40 years, has 80 restaurants and he like listens to it and it's like, Aaron, I give you less than a 1% chance. Don't do it.
2: What's up everybody, my name is Blake Fletcher and this is the Half Hour Intern Podcast where we explore the interesting paths people take in life. In today's episode, I interview two brothers, Jared and Aaron Poole, who are the owners of Gadzooks, which is a restaurant out here in Phoenix, Arizona. It is about to be a restaurant chain as they are about to open up their second. And if I had to guess within a certain number of years, there will probably be a Gadzooks near you because it is such an unbelievably phenomenal idea with such incredibly good Food. So the best way to explain their restaurant, Gadzooks, is to say, and they're probably not going to like this comparison, but just in terms of uh, the, the setup of the restaurant, is very much like uh, Chipotle, where you go up and you point to the different things that you want and they put it together. It is also Mexican food. The huge difference is what they actually make. So Gadzooks specializes in enchiladas and then soups like tortilla soup and stuff and they will make that for you right there they have got this big uh oven right behind them and like a stone oven um and they you put they put all the ingredients there for the enchiladas then they throw it inside the oven and it fires right there um while you wait and it's absolutely fantastic. Like I would so much rather go there than Chipotle. It is so, so good. Uh, and again, just such a damn good idea. So the reason that I chose to interview Jared and Aaron for the restaurant tour episode, um, again, just like the yoga one that we had last week, just one of these episodes that we're kind of like finally getting around to, the reason I chose to interview them is ter- in terms of restaurant owners is because neither one of them have a background in anything restaurant related. And they will both go over their background at the start of the interview. um, So you can kind of hear about what they did before. But if there is anyone listening to this that has ever had a desire to open up a restaurant, but they feel like they don't know what the heck they would do, we will cover a lot of that in this interview. And hopefully it will give you a little bit of confidence to try something like this um, yourself because Jared and Aaron at one point had no idea what they were doing. And now they are uh, very successful with their venture together. So without further ado, here is restaurant tour. Jared Aaron, thanks so much for joining me on the show.
1: Thanks for having us. Yeah, yeah.
2: Thank you. Yeah, for sure. So, if you could, I'd really like it if you could first go over your background a little bit um before we talk about all the trials and tribulations of opening up your own restaurant because you do not have a restaurant background. So, tell everyone about your uh what you did before the restaurant and and I think still do to to a certain extent and uh and kind of what made you want to go the restaurant route.
1: Uh Yeah, this is a, it's been a crazy process. Uh, I started, uh, I went to Brophy in Phoenix and uh, ended up going to Santa Clara and San Jose, California. So I was the oldest boy that flew the coop and I was out there and then got into dental school up in San Francisco. So I was up in the Bay area until last year. So 20, uh, 16. So I was up there for almost 15 years and, uh, had a dental practice up there in uh, North Beach, San Francisco, right in the city. And uh, it was an amazing experience, a really cool different practice that really focused on patient care. And we served 20 to 40 somethings and um, started a business when I was 25. And one of the people that I always could talk to was my brother, Aaron. And we would sit on the phone and talk about business and what it was like starting a business and kind of the, the goals and some of the things that we thought we um, were required to make a business run well. So um, that's how we bonded over the business side of it. So I was kind of cranking through dentistry and got, got to a point where Aaron and I started to meet in Las Vegas uh, for a night. It was really like 12 hours on a Monday or Tuesday night. And we talk about this crazy plan of uh, expanding what he created in Gadzooks and uh, opening more locations Lauren and I relocating to Phoenix and, uh, kind of now the rest is history as we're getting ready to open the, the second location. But yeah, started out in dentistry of all places.
2: What made you decide to like pivot from, I, I don't know. I feel like that's such an interesting thing to, to leave behind. Like it, did, what made you decide to, I guess, go from dentistry to this?
1: I, I, I liked dentistry. I, I felt like I was good at it. Um, it it starts to wear on you at, over time. And uh, when you're putting people through discomfort every day to get them to health, <laughs> kind of, uh, 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 it screws with your mind a little bit. So I wanted to really make people happy every day. And when I would come back to Phoenix and work with Aaron in the restaurant, um, it, it's just pure bliss because you're serving this incredible food that um, is the same every time with high quality as like the focus and get to do that customer service that I love and work with the, the staff that I love. And it's, it was just pure joy. So I knew that the dentistry was starting to burn out even after 10 years from start of school to when I got out of dentistry to, um, yeah, have an opportunity to work with my brother, my family. And and really be, I, I say I do a hobby every day because it's still work and it's hard work, but I don't have a lot of stress and it's a lot easier.
2: That's so cool, man. I love it. Aaron, I'd love if you could take us back to the very start of Gadzooks then, and then like catch us up to the point that, uh, Jared talked about where you guys started talking about bringing Jared into, uh, Jared into the fold. Uh,
0: <clears throat> yeah. So I, uh, graduate as born and raised in Phoenix and I, went to Arizona State, and uh, I thought I was going to go down that same path of, uh, I don't know if it was going to be dentistry or orthodontics or whatever it was going to be, but it was all, all it took was my, before my freshman year started, um, I had this epiphany that I did not want to deal with anything with blood-related. I wasn't interested in biology. I wasn't interested in any of the science-type stuff, so... Um, I pivoted like that first month, I can remember, I was like, um, okay, what am I going to study at Arizona State? And I didn't even realize being so naive as an 18 year old that you could study business as a topic. Uh, So I went, I applied for the WP Carey Business School, but at at that time at Arizona State, uh, you weren't just automatically enrolled your freshman year, you had to go your freshman sophomore year, and then get in junior year so um, that's how it kind of started and then where the light bulb idea went off like they'll say in business school uh, was up in Lake Tahoe that first um, Christmas break uh, we were at a rental cabin and the whole family was up there and I knew I wanted to do a restaurant I knew I wanted to do a fast casual restaurant um, but I didn't know what I didn't know what was going to be the niche. And it just so happened that this night, my our mom makes a uh, uh, chicken, green chili chicken enchilada casserole, like I'm sure so many parents make for their kids across the U.S. And this light bulb just goes off in my head. I'm like enchiladas, you know, it's just right there. So starting out in my freshman year, I just started developing this secretive, idea that I had I wouldn't tell anyone and start doing the business plan for it and seeing if there's any competitors or if anyone had done it yet and no one had done this this idea so that's how it kind of transpired and then um, after after college I decided to it was either go get an MBA or or uh, do the restaurant and uh, decided to try to do the restaurant but this was in 2009. And then the market kind of, that was just at the beginning of the financial crisis. Totally. So then I, uh, cause of that, my last semester of my senior year, all my management classes, we were going over the, how all these Well, It was the big one was the automakers and was first semester. And then, you know, you just saw this financial fallout. And then I'm going into trying to open a restaurant with, you know, I think I had, maybe 20 or $25,000 in a savings account that our dad would uh, put it for all the boys. And that's all I had. I had no assets. I didn't have anything. So I didn't have any restaurant background. Uh, So everyone thought it was crazy. And then we just had this, it's just, you know, timing of things, luck. Um, We were, I had for a few years been trying to find a, a lease deal in the Phoenix market. And this is before anywhere in Central Phoenix was booming with restaurants. So I knew that there was a, uh, a niche there. There was a lack of supply of restaurants in the Central Phoenix area at that time. And uh, it was uh, Easter Sunday. We're coming home from Easter brunch downtown at the, the Hyatt. And we're sitting at 7th Street and Osborne. And I'm in the back of the, my parents' car. And I have my sister-in-law next to me, our other brother Drew's wife. And I'm just defeated at this point, because at this point it's 2011. And, you know, I spent two years, still nothing. I'm just living at home with my parents. And uh, Colby's like, hey, Aaron, have you ever called on this this corner lot? And I had never looked south of Indian school. I always kept it like segmented from Central to like 16th Street, Indian school to Northern. And I never looked outside that box. So it was for sale. We gave the guys a call Well, we met the owners and it was a family that owned it. Um, They uh, said it was only for sale. They weren't willing to do any type of lease or anything. So I didn't think we had any chance of qualifying for it. And because anytime I was trying to do a lease deal um, in the past, when I started showing financials or my background, you know, they just, I had no opportunity to get. I anything.
2: could only imagine, yeah.
0: Nothing. Like, you know, I had assets of $20,000 and zero experience, you know, any, and it, when the market was so bad, no one was gonna take a risk on it. Um, and what's always so funny is I talk about what the, this was 2011, uh, typical square foot in the Central Phoenix market at that time was anywhere from 10 to, if someone was asking a lot, it was 15 bucks a square foot. Uh, today, especially North 7th Street, but anywhere in the Central Phoenix market, people are paying 40 to 50 bucks a foot, which is just crazy to me. It's It's uh, gone the complete other way. Uh, so now that I had like the location in mind, we tried to go get financing. Uh, and this was a really difficult part of the process was going to all the, the big banks, Chase, Wells Fargo, all those guys. And what they would do is kind of bait you in and switch on you. So they'd bait you in by saying that if you're going to qualify for a loan, you got to open these accounts. You got to bring money into the accounts. You got to have your parents change from what they're banking with to bring over their finances, because that's the only way you can qualify for something. And then when you got down to the nitty gritty of it, they would switch on you and said that you couldn't qualify for a number of reasons. Uh, so
2: after you've already put all your money and brought family over to their account to yeah. their bank all and stuff. Put, then they're like, Oh, we're not going to loan you the money anyways.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, it would get to what the banks were trying to do at the time. I mean, obviously lending was unheard of almost. And, uh, the banks, they were trying to do more of a traditional style, uh, restaurant loan where you'd have to put down like 50% on a loan. So if it's a million dollar loan, you have to smoke like 500,000 bucks. And that just wouldn't make any sense. Uh, so, There was just no chance that we were going to qualify for anything these things so i didn't know if we had any chance of doing anything and i think rock bottom was our meeting with chase bank and my parents went there with me and again they did the bait and switch so the next day i didn't think that there was any chance of getting financing but my mom kind of threw a hail mary pass and she's thinking who have we worked with in the past that could would finance aaron and She throws this Hail Mary, I call, because that's what it was, and she remembers these two guys that had started a bank in the 90s and had given them their first mortgage on their house in Phoenix and gave my dad's, so our grandfather, uh, a mortgage in his home up in Cave Creek, and she knew that they had opened a new bank. So she gives them a call, uh, set up a meeting. I go up there and present the business plan with the board kind of thing, and they said, "Yeah, this is something we were interested in uh, because we they thought that we could qualify for a seven, uh, SBA 7a loan." And what also sweetened the deal, well, the only way it was going to make sense was because the the land that we're looking at was going to be a purchase that would that would help with the um, the assets there um, to make the deal work. So we kind of start going through that process and. You know, the SBA stuff, it's a super difficult, lengthy, paperwork-heavy process. Uh, but in this situation, it worked as it intended to work. Uh, it was set up so someone like myself was able to qualify for a, a loan that otherwise wouldn't be able to. Uh, you put down, you just have to find 10% of your total loan value. And then obviously, they'll make you make it up with that, with collateral, with assets of, yep they had to put a lien on my parents' house. Uh obviously they, Oh my god, your
2: your parents were willing to do that.
0: Yeah, they were willing to do that. Yeah. That that's how our parents are. I mean, they they uh it, with all the boys with their businesses, they've always been very supportive. All all three of the boys have had the, have had their own businesses or currently have their own businesses and they've just been very supportive. So with with them being so supportive um It allowed us to grow and create something uh, like we have now as Gadzooks. Uh, So yeah, then we, long story short, after 2011, it takes a year to close the loan in 2012. It takes a year to build the building, so we opened in 2013. Uh, It ends up being much more successful. You know, being an entrepreneur, you think you're gonna be successful, but you don't know what that inherently means. Uh, And then you learn, okay, this is like doing really well. And then that's when Jared and I started talking about, uh, our ambitions in life, really, where do we want to go? What do we want for our next generation? And we agreed that, um, doing something together, uh, we could reap a lot more reward than, and get further than if we just went on our own ways, our own paths.
1: And And I think, too, um, he was getting courted by so many people that it started to become top of mind where it's like, okay, this this restaurant's rocking. What's going to be the next step? And I think through our dialogue with each other, we're like, well, be a lot cooler if we did this as a family Mm -hmm. rather than using just money at the end of the day.
2: Yeah, for sure. Man, what a great family you guys have. How amazing your parents are like it there it's one thing to be supportive emotionally like i feel like you know a lot of parents are for their kids like hey i believe in you you can totally do that <laughs> and it's like hey well i could actually use a little bit of money to help me out with this or or like what your parents did is is almost even more incredible to put their house on the line for it it like talk about putting your money where your mouth is that's so different than just telling like patting your kid on the back and being like i believe in you you can do anything to say like I believe in you so much that I am willing to basically lose my house for it. Uh, Like, but I like basically I know I'm not going to lose my house because of how much I believe in you. That's incredible.
0: Yeah. And I I think I, I would also say like, uh, you know, our, our mom was really supportive with like, she had, it's just a cultural thing almost in the family where she raised us where it's like, it, I say, it's like, it's whatever it takes. Like, that's what she would say. It's like, you're, we're going to do this and you know, whatever it takes to, to make it successful, it's going to be successful. And it was, you know, it's like a cultural philosophy. There's no like what ifs or like if this fails or something, no, it's like, we're going to do this. And that's just how her, her, she could be with the boys. She uh, could, I mean, you when you hear that positive encouragement um, and no no doubt uh you it makes you feel like like it inherently just makes you feel like yeah you of course you're going to you know be successful and you're going to do this so i i don't know i think it's a it's a cultural family thing
2: that's great that's a great thing to have so obviously you did not have this coming from your parents but did you at the time that you were sharing this idea with people did, were you kind of getting a lot of shit from other people of just like look, man, who doesn't want to open a restaurant like 90% of restaurants fail or like whatever the number that everyone loves to like throw around is and it's not as easy as you think and blah, blah, blah. Like, did you have to take a lot of shit from everyone because you wanted to open a restaurant?
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, it. the majority, almost everyone that you would talk to is like, you know, there was it's either like, no, you're not going to or you can't or it's the... People where they're like, oh, yeah, no, that's cool. You know, like, when's it going to open? And like, but they still don't believe that you're going to do it. I had a, a family friend that um, her dad owns uh, tons of Burger Kings and all sorts of things. And I was she wanted she was really excited for me to tell tell him about my idea. So I'm like, I'm like, oh, yeah, this will be cool. So I'm like we're making salsa in their kitchen. And he comes in and it was she has me pitch my idea to him. And he's been, you know, he's a hardened restaurant veteran of 40 years, has 80 restaurants. And he's, he like listens to it and he's like, Aaron, I give you less than a 1% chance. <laughs> and, he said and he says that and he's like, don't do it. It's like, okay, we got to get on the, we got to get on the plane and go up to Vail. <laughs> and I just am like left there, like, oh my God. So that was tough. But there's at the same time, it, it uh, it hardens you a little bit, and it, like you makes you like, okay, screw that guy. You know, I'll, I'm gonna show him, and he's been in the restaurant now, and um, he's he's uh, proud of it now. But uh, yeah, there's all those hard hard times, but as long as you got someone that believes in you, like again, it goes back to mom believing in the boys, and like she was the one that always just encouraged encouraged me to keep going and she again like i don't know if you can it's based off i'm not a parent so i don't know if you can read your kid or or what but she like willed willed us to do things
2: that's great so let's talk about actually opening up the restaurant i think um one of the reasons that probably a lot of people are skeptical of of people opening up restaurants to begin with is people probably think to themselves like hey i've cooked food before hey i've been in a restaurant before i think i know how to open a restaurant and it's like the learning curves on things are always so much more steep and difficult than you think they would be um talk to us about i guess like the learning curve that you had with trying to open gadzooks and some of the like initial hurdles that you had and then, where did you go to try to even learn what the heck you're supposed to do to actually get the doors open to this restaurant?
0: Uh, yeah, that was, it was, well, I mean, reflecting on it, I have no idea. Like, again, you have to be so naive as an entrepreneur, like to do something. Uh, my, like being naive, I would tell myself, I'm like, well, not working in restaurants, I won't, I won't have the same bad, uh, habits of, uh, what other restaurant people have, or I'm going to start with a new look or whatever and fresh eyes. So that's how I looked at going into it, but then you get into it. And the first thing you learn, because you, everything you do is just on paper, right? So from the design of the place, how the flow of it, the production of the space, you don't know how it's going to work, especially when you've never operated in a restaurant before. So you design it, and then you start seeing it. I'm a visual person. So then like you start seeing, oh, that has to change. We gotta switch that. Then I learned how to cook everything in my parents' kitchen, which is very different than a commercial kitchen. So that was the first really difficult thing where I was having to go into the restaurant, start cooking with the commercial equipment, using the same recipes that I had learned to cook with in the ovens at my parents' house. And I was trying to braise these meats the same exact way and nothing was coming out the same way. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm like losing my shit. You know, I, I don't know what to do.
2: It's <laughs> like, what if this is never gonna come out the same way?
0: Yeah, yeah, and I'm like, what am I gonna do? So those were those nights where I would go in there, I'd have dinner with my uh, parents and uh, our brother Drew and his wife, and we be leaving dinner at like nine, and I would ha- I'd just have to go into the restaurant, and because I was just like freaking out, I'm like, oh my God. So I would cook like short rib in the ovens and try, changing different variables. I'd be in there till 2, 3 a.m. and I'd just have all these beers on the the cook line. And (laughs) you have to wait like five hours for the stuff to to braise and bring it out. And then when it would, it was just so discouraging when you would wait that long, pull out the short rib and then it was like basketball, you know, it like wouldn't shred and it was completely off. So I just was someone, I'm not a, I don't like uh, asking for help with that stuff ever. And I was just such at a point where I could not figure it out that I finally reached out to uh, the chef that was running the Mesa Culinary Institute. And I told him like, hey, I'm using a convection oven in the in the restaurant. I don't know what's going on, why it's not yielding the same way as uh, my parents' oven was. And he's like, well, you know, when you're braising meat and he tells me it's such a science, but you learn the liquid levels, the, the temperature of the oven, the type of airflow in the oven the um, type of protein that you're cooking the type of pot you're cooking in all these things that were different than what I was using in at my, my parents house so I adjusted everything and sure enough it sort of come out consistently and uh, so we we figure that out but then you go into actually opening and you just kind of have to force yourself to open at some point even though you find that your griddle that you spec'd out was a pancake griddle and not a, hot <laughs> enough to pick tortillas. So you, you have to, you still open the doors and we ended up just, we were just so bad at the beginning. The food must have, obviously the food was good enough where it kept people coming in, even those first customers. But uh, our wait line would be if the someone was standing where the anatomy of the enchilada is or by the front door, in the restaurant, it would take people at that, in the first few months, 45 minutes to get through the line. Whoa, no way. Crazy, crazy stuff. And we would only be open from 11 to three. We wouldn't have everything ready by 11. So a lot of times it was like 11.30 we'd have stuff ready and then we'd run out of stuff like at one or two because you didn't know how much to produce of anything. Then once one thing ran out, you'd start trying to make it. Well then something else would run out and it was just, it was chaos.
2: So why would you only be open from eleven to three? And what were you doing on during the, these other hours, like when the store was closed? Were you just still trying to cook things and figure out like how to improve the processes of things?
0: Yeah, we were. So we we'd open and it was just like nonstop production. I would go in there at four in the morning, and it would be nonstop production from four until eleven, eleven thirty, and then you'd be open and you're still producing all throughout that eleven to three period. And then when you close, you're still learning, like, you're producing for the next day. You're learning how to clean things up, figure out staffing, like, on and on and on. And you'd just be in there until 9 at night, 10 at night. And then you go home, sleep, wake up before. And that just happened continuously for months. I can't you,
2: believe you didn't just get totally frayed mentally and, like, freak out.
0: Well, oh, I was... He, he was a zombie. I was a zombie. <laughs> it was funny. I would have friends come in and they would see me and i'd be making tortillas uh and they were just aaron you look you look like it's not. like they were you know concerned they had that like concerned look in their their eyes at me because i i was sleeping like four or five hours and like it was just nonstop manual production and he'd eat a lot of candy too so his diet was candy <laughs> yeah and, and beer like you would get right when you get off work you just like chug two beers and be like okay i'm gonna go to sleep now because you're just trying to take the edge off
2: yeah for sure so you're you're working like 18 19 hours a day also that the restaurant can just be open five hours a day
0: oh yeah yeah and it was like so hard we couldn't we just were trying to figure out how much to produce but how are we going to produce stuff faster and enough of, amount of food or what i mean it So the learning curve was like at least a year to get to a point where we thought we were like, okay. And then, then you start, once you start figuring out how much product you go through and you've got that all dialed in, well, then you start trying to figure out, okay, how do we make other things better? Our staff and our staffing and all that stuff. And uh, that's where I was always really bad at. I'm just like, I like doing production, all that stuff. And with Jared and I, you, you learn too, or, Again, that's another thing I think being an entrepreneur, you think you can do everything and you want to do it your way. Well, at some point you have to learn and mature and be like, hey, I can't do everything. And you start identifying what you're not good at. And I was, I'm just not good at HR, dealing with staff, um, it's not, well, it's that and it's not something that I'm passionate about. I'm not, like, I don't look forward to, I think Jared looks forward to talking to staffing and getting them to to increase efficiencies and stuff like that, where I get really excited about waking up and cooking and, like, going in and producing the food. I really get excited. To this day, I only cook in the restaurant uh, one day a week. When we say cook in the restaurant, that's when you go in at five and start Prepping all the food and everything, and I get like really excited on that that morning.
2: That's awesome. So during those first six months, when you are in this zombie mode and things are not quite going as planned and are a lot more difficult than you thought, who was taking care of the business side of things? Were you the one trying to do this at this point, or had you brought other people in to help with that? Because I would imagine like it. it sounds like you were so deep underwater so to speak that like it's hard to even try to look at things and think to yourself like, okay, how are we going to uh, streamline things better? And how are we going to make this better and that better? Because all you're trying to do is just keep up.
0: Yeah. There's no time for like figuring out systems. It's survival. Uh, Yeah, it was, it's yeah, exactly. It's survival. Uh, So we, um, I had a friend from college that he was the one that like did the scheduling and uh, would do the HR type of stuff. But again, that was still like, I think he would send the schedule out. Sometimes you'd send the schedule out for like the work week, the morning of like an hour before, you know, their shifts were supposed to type stuff. And so at the beginning we had a lot of turnover for sure. Um, I was dealing with the business expense stuff. So like any of the, checks and all that stuff I was trying to keep up with. Uh, but yeah, it was just, you're always behind. And you're just, again, it's just like survival. So you just do at whatever, like you're surviving. You don't have thought process for anything else. What do you
2: think is the hardest thing to get right when you open a restaurant? The
0: food. Really? Yeah.
2: Just actually having the food taste good and be the way you want it to be.
0: Yeah. And I think people are, I mean, it's, that's a, so with restaurants, we always discuss, this is a really interesting thing where we always talk about what makes a restaurant successful. And there's different philosophies out there. And I think any, we've, we've had the opportunity to meet a lot of big restaurant tours in the nation and they, that's the continuous thing that the, the very, uh, mature restaurant tours and, uh, ones that have been in the industry for a long time, will tell you it's always the food because you can you can get the inputs, you can have a nice staff, you can have a pretty environment, um, you can do all those things, you can you know have a cool brand, but it, it's the food quality and the food taste that I think any consumer knows. You know some re- restaurants do much better than others. Consistency is a huge thing. Um, so when I The vision for the restaurant always was, I believe in, Jared and I believe in, um, first and foremost, the food quality, the food taste, and the consistency of the product. And I believe that I'll even go to the extent that I'll say 90% of what we do at the restaurant is based on food. From the quality, taste, consistency, look, all those things is what we're focused on. And of course, yeah, you need to have a clean environment. You have to have friendly staff. You can't have people be dicks. But I I think that those things are more manageable. Like you'll you'll still go to a, a hole-in-the-wall place if they have excellent food. If they have high-quality food, you'll go into a hole-in-the-wall place. But so many – I think that's how we're so different versus a lot. Especially in the Phoenix market, there's some big restaurant groups that – they're all fighting for the same consumer in that they're fighting for environment. They're fighting for a cool space. And then when you have the food, you get the check, you see the price of the check you're, you you're left with, I guess that was good enough. Like, I guess that was nice. And there are places where, yeah, you want to go and like have beers with friends and everything, which are great. But, um, the food's always, Kind of leaves you lacking, and we just think of the opposite where you know we want people to come in with low expectations and leave with uh, a really great experience you know so that with with and that comes around with the food quality
2: what's the hardest part about getting the food quality right uh like is it maybe changing the scale of the food like like going from x amount to oh we need double that amount and then it's just hard to get it the same when you're doubling the amount is it just consistency in general like what are the hardest things that that come into play with the food
0: yeah i think the food like scaling the food was really difficult but the hardest part with the food was the that no one sees was the two years of basic and i was lucky and this is where i don't know if Everyone gets that opportunity was I'm living at my parents' house. I didn't have a job, but it it allowed me to have days in the kitchen where you like you just learn how to cook things. I didn't have any culinary background. So you start understanding, Okay, this is a tomatillo. I've never cooked with a tomatillo. So you eat it when it's raw Then you're like, what happens when I boil it? What happens when I roast it? Um, and then you start learning the flavor profile of it. And then you start educating yourself like, okay, what if I add this to this or try, you know, you, you start experimenting with things and then it comes down to believing in your palate and, uh, thinking that you're, you have a good palate. And then from there replicating that, um, in a commercial setting is really difficult. But then once you, another difficult part of it about is the consistency part where I think we pride ourselves on the consistency. And, um, that is a difficult thing to make sure to get staff to follow instructions and having it as detailed as possible and making sure that they understand that just because you think, uh, or you don't like, pepper in your green sauce doesn't mean that you can omit that when you make it because we've had like things like that happen. So, um, yeah, it just
1: creating a structure with the food is definitely always a difficult thing. I think yeah. now we have, it's one way to get Zook's way. And we just focus on that and keep dialing people in.
2: That's great. I would like to learn a little bit more about the business side of things. Because I think that a lot of people, when they go to open a restaurant, they get really excited about the food side of things. They get really excited about... Hey, I get to like talk with people when they come in, you know, things like that. The things that people do not get excited about are the business side of things, but I could see how that would easily uh, sink a restaurant when you open it. So, I guess, how did you even learn about the business side of things to begin with? And are there a lot of like unanticipated business things that came up after you open that you just did not have any idea about?
0: Yeah, I think uh with the business side of stuff, I will like I always say when people talk about, you know, did you learn anything in, in college at Arizona State? And there's a couple classes where I think directly impacted uh Gadzooks and that was I had a business plan class that it kind of forced you to understand how to write a business plan and do financials and um an entrepreneur class and those were the building blocks of what got Gadzooks alone, but also forced you to actually analyze things and like look into what costs of goods are and see and make you understand. Okay, what does a healthy restaurant need? At what percent or should food cost be? What percent should staff be? And you start with that, but then everything's more expensive. All like it's always more expensive than you think it anticipated to be. But I think uh, it also, a big thing, I think that probably the strongest lesson I learned in college was um, to make sure that you have cash, that you have working capital. And I insisted on having that working capital in our bank loan because sometimes even banks miss it. And that's the only reason why we were able to to survive even the, the first several months was you have that cash there to operate and I think a lot of times, tours get into stuff because yeah they're not business people they're chefs or they're just they're food people and they don't understand like hey i need cash to operate or if i'm going to buy these you know nicer things these nicer produce whatever it is cost money and you need that that cash on hand all the time so uh, that working capital is probably the most important thing that someone opening a restaurant needs because you don't know how you're going to start you don't especially if it's a brand new concept you don't know if it's going you know, to you're going to do ten thousand dollars in sales a month, or you're going to do a hundred thousand. You you have no idea.
2: Yeah. So, how do you decide at the beginning how many people to hire, how much food to make, any of that? Like, what was there any way for you to run projections on that stuff? And what would it even have been relevant to do that? Like, was it relevant?
0: Yeah, I ran projections in the business plan, and it was based off of. I don't know. I, I forget how many people I would like think of how long would it take someone to go through the line and how many, you know, hours in the day. And I think I would, I came to the conclusion that, you know, we would, I think their initial projection said we would do like $27,000 in a month or something. And it ended up being, you know, substantially more than that. But, um, you try to like understand projections like that, but there's no way of knowing. So the projections really didn't help at all. So, production of food and everything you don't know until you that first week you're open and understanding your demand and you adjust to it and then with staffing that's another thing you you just have no idea you're just basically looking off a paper on like okay i think this is like what this person will do and that person and how many shifts we have and everything but you just have to kind of quickly evolve to it and adjust to it so you're like that with the first restaurant we were exceptionally bad there for the first few
1: months and we felt it you know (laughs) I think with some of the stuff too Blake it's I don't know from my experience in the dental office to now opening a second restaurant I think sometimes if you focus on money like as the pure intent to succeed in those things and I don't know maybe this is us being naive or sometimes we feel lucky but I think it allows you to put your head down and say, okay, I'm going to make a great quality product and take care of people. And if I do those two things, the money will come. I know the reality is you've got to pay your bills and you've got to have money to pay those bills. But I think if you do those two things really well, you set yourself up for success, even if you don't truly understand a spreadsheet or cash flow happening at certain times of the month. So
2: yeah, that's a very, very good point. Did um. At what point were you able to start tracking uh, things like cash flow and your spend, and uh, like how much money it was costing you to produce a tray of enchiladas versus, uh, and, you know that plus the cost of an employee plus the cost of all this? Like, at what point were you able to start tracking those things versus how much money you had coming in?
0: Uh we didn't. I mean, we didn't start figuring that out probably till like year three year wow four. no way
2: so the whole time you're just like i think we have more money coming in than we have going out i think <laughs> no. we're
0: good but literally was i it was just as silly as uh i would just look at the bank account and you would just be like well i we must be making some money because you know it's going up and then you would see trends on like okay this is it hits this point and then you have all these you know you're gonna uh, service all these debts and then it would go down and then it would go back up and but you would you'd see it kind of grow so you're like okay we're making money we know we're priced right we're efficient
1: but we didn't know our percentages for a long time there yeah i think i mean entrepreneurs will talk about like this feel right when you've got one location of whatever business you kind of can feel what's going on or you look at those trends and you understand because you're there every day. We just went to uh, Chicago for like pretty much the, it was like college for restaurants and uh, the group up there broke down everything pretty much that we need to do now that we have a second restaurant, a third and a fourth that we're not going to be able to be there and feel things. So, I mean, we've gotten it even the last six months, super, um, we know how much it costs to make something like to the T and it gives us more, um opportunity to work with our vendors to get their pricing down and those things. So we're continuing to evolve.
2: Yeah, for sure. It's awesome. It it makes me what you were just saying just makes me think of um how like in the past few years I feel like I've I've gotten much more disciplined as a person. And I I'm not really the type of personality I guess that likes to be disciplined. But it's like, and I've I've had other people on the show say this before that like when you live with more discipline it actually allows you more freedom, because it's like you have these confines so you operate um, with so much freedom within your, your confines that you have. And I imagine the same thing with the restaurant, that once you start tracking these things, that might sound like, "Oh, well, that's boring, and you know, I'd rather just feel it and whatever, but that once you start tracking these things, that that allows you a lot more flexibility with the things you want to do with the restaurant.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think you, uh, it's like the big thing that people, big restaurant chains uh, preach about our systems and getting things at yeah, organization. Um, and then it's, then you start, when you start understanding all the ins and outs of the restaurant, the inputs and the outputs of the finances and everything, then you can start actually making more educated decisions on, hey, if we add this, what can we see return on the bottom line for our year? Can we grow sales by a hundred thousand bucks? If we, you know, add these few things or adjust how we're presenting this or it's on and on. So it actually becomes kind of fun where you you can start making adjustments. And when you, when you start seeing the, like sales grow and everything from some adjustments that you, because you're able to do it at that point, because you understand the restaurant, and the numbers more, that's what actually gets really exciting with it.
2: Yeah. Definitely. So Aaron, I'd like to talk a little bit more about right when you very first opened the first restaurant. And, um, and tell us a little bit about the marketing side of things. And did you try to market the restaurant? Or were you more just like, I'm just going to open the doors and we'll see what happens. And if you did try to market beforehand, like how did you try to market? And what do you feel like worked versus what did not work?
0: Yeah. I mean, this is going to be another answer where you're going to be like, the hell <laughs> and it like probably frustrates people because it's such like a unique scenario in case as is a very unique uh situation but we never marketed it at all nothing we it was based off of so we were v- very disciplined on looking at finding a site and that you can see with their camelback location we weren't going to settle on something so that the site that we're currently at, Seventh Street and Osborne. Before you know purchasing it, I would just stand out in the parking lot, and I would see all the traffic. I'm like, oh my god! Like this, there's so much traffic on this intersection, and how the building's positioned. You know, if we have a good sign, we're going to people will know of us. Even if they don't want to know that we exist, they have to know we exist because if they're sitting at that intersection, they're going to see that neon sign. So that was the idea of our marketing. In a sense, was like, well, we're just gonna basically be a billboard. Um, at our our brick and mortar is a billboard. Uh, so then when we open, it's exactly what you said. One day we after we were prepping for the week, like maybe three or four days and trying to figure things out and having the staff in, uh, we decided to just try opening the door. So we all we did we just unlocked the front doors and at around eleven o'clock. And sure enough, some people started like t- trying the door and it was open. And then it went from like a couple people to, I don't know if across the street at the law firm saw it. We ended up, you know, having 25, 30 people in there. And you're just like, oh, Jesus. Uh, so we just opened the door. And then from from there, even though I say we were so bad, we were so bad at just speed and service and running out of things. The food quality that we always believed in was still there. So it turned into once we were open it just kind of snowballed from there where more and more people would start showing up and then we'd have to produce more and we have to learn more and uh, ever since then we've never marketed the brand um everything's always been word of mouth or we have a pr company that will um just do our uh do a press release type thing and so then i'll go on like there's a lot of organic growth with doing new segments, going on the radio, or doing little things like that. But we I was talking to someone about this just a few days ago, because they asked the question about marketing and if we've ever marketed. And we've never done any type of traditional marketing. But what we have done, which has always worked so exceptionally well for us, is we'll go and do events. And we'll pick, we don't do all the events. We just do certain events that we feel has a good demographic where we think is a cool event that's going to have attract good people that we want to touch and, um, and they're always different kind of demographics, but those, you know, you don't make any money at them. You're just basically giving your product away, but we believe that our product is so exceptional that we were excited to have people try it. So we make tacos at all these different events and we always say if we're just converting one of these people, um, that's it's been a success. So we'll do anything from the taco festival to this year we're doing an ASU Sparky Tailgate to Lost Lake uh, Festival downtown. To uh, we've done, gosh, uh, the Food and Wine Experience. We've done Phoenix Cooks. We've done the Scottsdale Culinary Festival. But when you start looking at it, there's such different kind of markets of demographics of ages. Um, to ethnicity, all those things. We, that's how we've tried to grow.
2: Right, grow so the, if you're going to tr- spend money on quote-unquote marketing, that marketing is going to be something that actually gets your product into a customer's hand.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think that's... I can't imagine doing it any other way just because, especially if... It would be one thing if you're trying to market something that if you, if you don't think your product's that great, like if you're just doing a very mediocre pizza or something, maybe you don't want It's It's a different mindset, but there's people who are successful doing all sorts of different things and uh, they might be a value proposition or whatever it is, but they might market. They don't want people necessarily to taste. That's not going to convert them. They might market in kind of different, unique ways, billboards or whatever to drive traffic into their restaurants where uh, we believe that the best marketing tactic is people actually tasting the food and that's what's going to convert them and that's a such a memorable thing too because what we usually do is that this chicken and cornbread taco that uh usually when people try it it's a, such a unique and different thing that and it showcases our brand in such a good way because that's what we believe gets exists is it's a unique different concept and flavor flavor profiles that you're going to get. And that's what that taco does is people, it's memorable.
2: Definitely. Uh, Aaron, if you had to say something that was not related to the food and to the cooking, what do you think it was that allowed the first restaurant to be so successful and allowed you to be successful? Because I mean, you had like, there are so many professional chefs that have worked at so many different restaurants that open up a restaurant and they fail. Or there's so many restaurateurs that open up another restaurant and it fails. Or people who have so much business experience and they open up a restaurant and it fails. You had none of those things. <laughs> like You were not a professional chef. You were, you were basically just a college graduate that decided to do this. What made it able to work?
0: Man, um, I think it, it worked. There's a number of things that I think collectively turned into the success that it's had. I think for sure the location of the restaurant was huge because, and having the ability to have parking there and everything, but the location, like I said earlier, made people aware that we even existed. I don't think we we probably fail if we sit, settle on a location in a t- tucked away in a shopping center, or like convince ourselves that there's enough traffic in the shopping center, t- you know, and we think that the food quality is good enough or is is great. But if we're tucked away in some supermarket somewhere um, in a strip mall, I don't think we become successful. I don't. I think we fail. Um, I think that, and I think for the other thing was being passionate about it. Like I truly love doing stuff with gadzooks. I, I've always loved doing it. And I think if you aren't those, especially those beginning stages, if someone's going into it and they're not truly hundred percent passionate about it, it's much easier to just like, be like, okay, we tried it, you know, and you could tell people, well, I tried it, it just didn't work out or whatever. And you have a quicker give up a threshold then i think you can have failure too but yeah. i i think that i mean again it's a number of things but that loca- uh, location is huge for restaurants i think
2: yeah i feel like it shows a lot of confidence on your part that that is the location that you wanted and chose and everything because i feel like a lot of people would Kind of think the opposite. So, just so people know, the location that you guys have, it's completely standalone. It's not attached to anything else. And the way things are in Arizona is very similar to the way things are in Southern California and many other areas of the United States, which is it's just sprawl, 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 sprawl everywhere. So, there's a lot of these like strip malls and shopping centers and things like that. And a lot of restaurants will end up in a strip mall or in a shopping center with a lot of other stores around it. And I think a lot of people's thought process would be strength in numbers, right? So, like, okay, I just opened up. I no one's going to know about me, particularly you, because you weren't marketing your place before you opened up. You just opened up the doors one day. But people would think, okay, well, people are going to be going to that store next to me. Then they're going to see me on accident, type of thing. Or, or they're and they're already out of their car, walking around. You know, um, you have this standalone restaurant, so somebody has to go out of their way to come to it. However, as a standalone restaurant, it also is the only thing on that corner. So it's I, I don't know. I, I feel like it's really kind of gambling on yourself, more or less, uh, that that it is going to be good enough to draw people by itself. And and then once that has occurred, then then like you said, I, I think you definitely are better off being by yourself than being surrounded by a bunch of other stuff.
0: Yeah, and I think that's what we uh we believe with uh, with our growth as we want to be, I think there's, I'm sure in markets across the United States are very similar, but in Phoenix, you've got restaurant clusters that everyone sees success in one spot so that everyone starts clustering up with them. And then they think that, oh, yeah, it's a destination place. So because someone's going to want to eat at one of these places and we'll build next to them and they'll know that we exist too. Um, with how Gadzooks is, we're kind of, even though we're on a main stretch of of road with a lot of traffic, we're kind of off the beaten path, not clustered with a bunch of restaurants. And that's what our growth model is too with Camelback road also is uh, we're, we're in kind of an area of people knowing that there's good, fine, finer dining places, but we're not clustered with a bunch of people. Uh, I think the other thing uh, that I didn't, when developing the business plan and I wasn't even thinking about it earlier, why we existed um, and why we've been successful was it comes down to like the, it comes down just to the name also, like the idea of gadzooks and enchiladas and soup. It's so stupid. Right. And you're just like, well, why the hell is this place called gadzooks enchiladas and soup (laughs) to be different and memorable. And, um, every, detail along the way we've tried to be different and that was so with the restaurant being on the corner and then thinking like what if it's named gadzooks and everything that people are going to it's different and they're going to be curious and not everyone is going to just because they're curious are going to try it but there's enough people out there that are willing to take risks on something like that like a meal and then what we learned as long as the product was good they would come in they'd have a good experience and that's where the word of mouth Service spread. Um, but then at the same on the flip side, you know, you think, oh yeah, we're real clever with thinking of a, a different unique name and we identify that we sell enchiladas. But on the flip side, when you talk about people years down the road, you'll hear customers say, I didn't try this place for so long because I would see it and I thought it was I was like, Gadzooks, that's the stupidest name I've heard. It probably sucks, right? That's what a lot of people will think. That why would I go to that place called Gadzooks? Enchiladas and soup, probably. You know, you you don't even realize that other flip side of like when you try to be a little too quirky or creative, it could have a negative effect on it too.
2: Right. Like how how nice of an enchilada is there going to be at a place called Gadzooks?
0: Yeah, right. No, for sure. You probably think it's going to be terrible enchiladas, but as long as the product's good, you know, you you convert those people.
2: Let's uh, go ahead and start to wind this thing down, guys. If you could tell us, what are some of the major lessons that you feel like you took from the first restaurant to now opening up the second like how are you doing things differently this time around and what are some of the biggest like takeaways from the first that you're bringing to the second
1: well i think it's any way we can increase efficiency we know that that location on camelback is an a location for sure and even this one over here on 7th street even though it's a it's its own corner. And those things might be like a B or B plus. So we know we're going to be even busier and we're going to try to get people through the service line as, as quickly as they can. So they're not having to wait. So we've, we've kind of reorganized how our back line is, how our back kitchen is. We've, put our Woodstone still in the middle that kind of anchors our kitchen and we're putting our POS stations or point of sales right in front of it. So we're going to be able to, while the the food is kind of complete eating the cooking process in the Woodstone, they're going to be able to pay for their drinks and everything, and then move on to their cold toppings so they can push through. That was the one place in our current location that kind of causes a, um, People to get held up a little bit.
2: Mm, yeah, you're actually able to change the structure. I didn't even consider that that like structurally changing it will allow the business to flow better.
1: Exactly, and that's a, the other thing we're trying to add is, or we are adding, is a uh, a walk up window so people will be able to park their bikes because we're right on the canal and walk up and not have to deal with going into the restaurant and pick up their food there. Um, we've reconfigured the patio a little bit too, so we've increased seating capacity um you talked to our brother drew pool at Ren house and we partnered with them to create a specific beer for gadzooks and we're going to have a draft beer station right when people get in line so as they're going through the line they can be drinking a a beverage of their choice and something that's very unique and different so uh we're excited for little things like that so i'd say increasing efficiencies that's what we've learned from gadzooks one to gadzooks two and And along with those efficiencies comes with kind of restructuring how we staff and what that means. And uh, we're going to start breakfast service in the coming month or so. So a lot of new things coming to kind of enhance what we already currently have.
2: Man, that's got to be such a cool thing for you to be able to work with your brother, Drew, and like this mutually beneficial relationship. Well, how amazing.
1: Yeah, we're really excited. And it's anything. It's family. It's local. It's another thing that makes us different and unique. Um, So yeah, we're pumped.
2: How are you going to be able to do the breakfast thing when, as is, you you guys are going into the restaurant so early to prep just to get the restaurant open by 11? How are you going to open even earlier than that?
1: Yeah. We're just going to, we're going to stagger the schedule a little bit and have some of our employees come in a little earlier. Right now we could, we could effectively open the restaurant at 10 AM, 10 AM, even though our restaurant hours are at 11 AM, um, for opening. So we're going to do bre- our breakfast from eight to 10. So we just need some people to come in before and change a little bit of things, but we'll make it work.
2: Cool. Love it. Um, all right, last thing. What advice would you give to people that wanted to open their own restaurant?
1: Do it, man. Uh, <laughs> from my perspective, I, 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 I think uh, both Aaron and I are entrepreneurs. And to do that, you have to be naive. And Lauren, my wife that you talked to that opened Local Nomad, same thing. If you think about um, what's in the weeds too much, you kind of can get overwhelmed and it can deflate you. So, by staying naive and staying pumped and confident that you know what you're offering customers is different, unique, and high quality, um, you're going to succeed. So, I would say, be persistent, be naive, and never give up. But do it.
2: I love that advice. That's so the opposite of the most the, the advice that people typically uh, <laughs> give and like the advice that you will typically hear but it's so true. I, I love the idea of purposely staying naive. There's so much benefit to that when you're doing something as uh, daunting as something uh, like opening a restaurant. It, if you are not viewing it as daunting and you're just viewing yourself as awesome and you know it's all going to work out, that's the best way to do it. Don't, uh, don't think of it as being the, the most difficult, hard thing in the world. Great advice, guys. Guys, this has been great. Thank you so much for taking the time with us today.
1: Thank you, Blake.
2: Hey, everyone. It's Blake. I hope you all enjoyed the episode. If you did, I would appreciate it so much if you considered leaving a review for the show on iTunes. I swear it'll only take like two minutes. Um, Just search for the show on iTunes, click on it, click on ratings and reviews. You can leave a quick review um, or just uh, keep listening to the show. I appreciate that as well. Or tell a friend about the show or something. And if you have any ideas for the show, if you have a particular job or hobby that you would like to hear interviewed on the show, if you yourself think that you do something interview worthy and you would like to tell the world about what this job or hobby is that you have, head on over to halfhourintern.com. There's a link right there at the top that says submit your ideas and you could submit your ideas for the show be them uh, somebody else that you would like me to interview a particular field that you would like to hear about or even if it is you yourself that would like to come on the show thanks so much for listening you guys